The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South. Tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with beat reporter Tom Shad and columnist Jeff Calkins. New intro the Tiger Football Podcast. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I like that they highlight the mighty sound of the South because we have not, you know, we've talked a lot about changes in the program, right? The, the, everything that's changed and the, a, lot of, a lot of scrutiny, uh, what's happened in the summer, but we've not mentioned that, uh, that the mighty sound of the South has a new head coach. Dr. Will Plank, previously at UNLV Reno, has taken over the reins. Interesting. And, uh, and the first show is going to be a Bruno Mars uh, show. And I'm a big fan of the Mighty Sound of the South, and so I hope they stay dry and sound brilliant. And I, I appreciate that the intro highlights them. What what is the uh, what is the scouting report on the new coach? I'm Young, told offensive. That, I'm told that he's or? an up and comer. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's always a question of how long you can get these people to stay. You know, right. if you're that big a star, how long can you stay? But my, enjoy him while he's here. That's what I just say. Enjoy him while he's here. No, actually, usually I hear he's really I hear, I hear he's really good, and um and so yeah, I, I like him anyway. Like I I'm I'm a sucker for marching bands and and uh, and I like the mighty sound of the south and a you a little a UNLV flair, UNLV Reno flair. A little is probably good, good to bring to the program. A little flair can't hurt. A little can, flair cannot hurt. So on the football field, we are finally going to play. Well, we are not going to play. No, a game. we're not. Thank heaven for thank, that. Thank, thank God. But Memphis is going to play a game. We are going to be able to finally watch an actual game. We've seen for going on nine months here scrimmages and practices and spring What's the game one thing? And- one thing most interested in. I know right easily what the one thing I'm most interested in is. In in the opener, the one thing besides the you know the scene and the rain, we'll get to that in a minute and everything else. The one thing on the field that you're most interested in. Well, you go for if you already have one. I want to see what Jackson Dillon looks like. Okay, I mean that's I, you know I want to see if he looks like a terror. You know we have not seen him look like a terror for a long long time. And I want because there's a lot we won't be able to tell from this game, right? Overmatched opponent, everything else. But she'll be able to tell if Jackson Dillon is moving and destroying people. Now it'll be, it's a different question as whether he'll be a different level of competition. But I think you'll be able to get a sense of things, um, just like how he moves, and yeah. And so that's what I'm most interested in. Well, and how he fits in with the defense overall yeah. too. All I mean, I think that's going to be. Yeah, the the pass rush obviously is going to be a huge question this season, and so seeing if you know against a team like Louisiana Monroe, which isn't doesn't have Tulsa's offensive line or anything like that, if he can create uh, some some pressure and, and affect that unit, um, I'm interested always in the freshmen because you see them, you see a guy like T.J. Carter in practice, and he's going toe to toe with Phil Mayhew and Anthony Miller and all those guys. But it's a different ball game when when you kind of have to play guys that you haven't played against before, and you're on that stage and the Liberty. I mean, T.J. Carter probably hasn't played in front of more right. than a couple thousand people, so um, he's he's I guess the big one in terms of freshmen. There might be some other um, true freshmen who get out there on the field. J.J. Russell could be a guy that you see on special teams, for example. Brian Goodson, um, a defensive lineman who's who's looked really good in practice, um, especially recently, but. But T.J. Carter, I guess, is the one. Just how he kind of adjusts to the to the college game there in game one. Yeah, it'll. Uh, it's always. It's hard to know what to take out of games like this, uh, but um, 
those are th- those are things that I think you know. And I, I, honestly, I'm 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 looking forward to just seeing them on the field again, seeing the people assemble again, and all of that. Obviously, the fact that there is thoughts and obviously our thoughts are with the people in Houston who are suffering from real problems with the rain, and and this is a little inconvenience and sogginess is nothing compared to that. But it is supposed to be raining, and it's already a late start. I was talking to Gary Parrish about this, who's going to be the sideline reporter, because they can't get their Cassie, Cassie, whatever was supposed to be the sideline reporter. Yeah. And so Gary's filling in because that Cassie's trapped in Houston and or in in Texas somewhere. And um, but he said that when he was I guess he did a CBS conference call with Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell said he fought for this game to be on Thursday. Like he really desperately wanted it to be on Thursday, wanted as a showcase and everything else. Where are you generally on the idea of this as um, on a Thursday opener, Thursday late, uh, let's be honest, opener. And, and, and then, and, and now obviously we have the sogginess on top of it, which could, you know, we, I think we both predicted whatever I predicted north of 40,000 when we talked about this last week. Right. I will scale that prediction back. I'll scale it back now, honestly. But certainly if it's raining, there's not going to be as many folks there. Where are you generally on the idea of a Thursday opener? I, I think they make all the sense in the world. I think Thursday, Thursday night games, Friday night games, just because Saturday. I mean, I think I think the the Memphis fan base is very interesting in that. You're always going to have the. Who's going to get to twenty? Hmm? You're about twenty. You're going to get about twenty thousand there. They're going to be there no matter what. But when you look at kind of growing uh, the fan base more generally, it's all about marketing to people who live in Memphis and trying to get them to hop on the but bandwagon. But do you think you get them on the bandwagon for a late Thursday night game when people are working as opposed to a beautiful, you know, a, a Saturday when I during the particularly for the opener, I don't know. I'm a little more in the air for, up in the air for the opener. I want people to have the full tailgate experience, which is harder to have, you know, for a night game. I want people to and you and you can't have that. And so for the opener I'm a little less persuaded about Thursdays. I understand generally. Like that for example, that Houston game will be on a Thursday, and that's going to be tough because of the timing. But generally, a Thursday night game on national TV when it's on – I mean, this one's on CBS, CBS Sports. So that's the other thing. Not only that, the Central Florida game is before it, right? I think it starts at 5. And they don't – like, this game won't be picked up until somewhere midway early through the first quarter. Like, they, that game starts at 5 and will not be over. Most games are not over at – Three hours, three hours later. So you could pick this game, but for CBS Sport, you know, Sports Network to play a Thursday game, I, I don't know. By the time people tune in, it could be twenty-one nothing. Right. Well, th- I think the circumstances of this game are going to make. Well, f- let me back up. First of all, we're talking about two things, right? We're talking yes. about TV and and fans nationally, and then we're talking about fans Correct. locally yeah. being at the game. I think this one is just tough. Not so much because it's on a Thursday, but because. The weather is probably not going to be very and good, and been, it's going to be at eight. And it would have been bad Saturday too. That's the other thing. It's not like it's going to be. It's not like it's. Oh, it's going to be raining Thursday, but by Saturday it's going to be glorious. It would have. It sounds like it's going to be raining Thursday, and it's going to be raining Saturday. Right. Either way, it's going to be a reduced crowd because of the rain, which is too bad. And and that to me, yeah, that to me has more to do with the eight p.m. kick, which I think. I mean, is maybe you're more inclined on a Saturday or a, or a Friday, but I feel like it being at 
eight as opposed to six or seven is tough. And then the weather, I think, is going to be tough, especially because there are so many marquee games coming up in the season. I think you're going to have these kind of the general people who live in Memphis who are going to say, oh, I really want to go check out the team. But it's a Thursday night. It's late. It's going to be raining. I have work the next morning. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go to the UCLA game or I'll go to the Southern Illinois game or or right. another game. So, well, we but, hope we hope that I, I I totally understand. I'm not one of these people who thinks that if if the rain keeps you away with your two year old, that it's um you know that you're you should have to turn in your 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 fan pass. I understand people who make decisions about bedtimes and weather and everything else. I also have great regard for the people who've hung, who will who will hang in there with their ponchos and and everything else. So we hope it's still a pretty decent crowd. But generally, I feel like. Some some fans are always they're just all about Saturday games, and I do think that the Thursday. I mean, just kind of speaking generally, the Thursday Friday games are a huge opportunity for the university office for the university, and I think that where you might see some people not go to the game on a Thursday night because they have work the next morning, kids, whatever. The exposure of those Thursday now, even if they're getting late, even if it's on CBS Sports Network, like that game is going to reach more people than. If it had been on a Saturday when there's nothing else like I found myself this weekend, like watching some of the stuff on ESPN three, you know, it was like Jackson State or Jacksonville State and Chattanooga or something, you know, just because I want to watch some football. So I think you are going to reach some more people just by having it on Thursday, Friday night. And that's why I think Norvell fights for him is because it's all about putting it on a national stage and the more times. That somebody, Helps you know, recruiting. somebody that in Louisiana like is flipping through and they go on ESPN. They say, oh, there's Memphis. Cool uniforms, Look at the decent uniforms. crowd, putting up big numbers, whatever else helps them with his recruiting. There's no question that's true. Right. Um, and it's a little different. To me, it's a little bit like the uniforms themselves. If you're Alabama or Penn State, you don't mess with it. You know, you don't you don't need to. You're, you The uniforms should look like the uniforms. Right. And you play on Saturday and whatever. But if you're Memphis, you have wild uniforms change the uniforms you're doing whatever you can to to, to create attention and you and, uh, you know for you don't have the tradition quite to 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 fall back on and so you do you go the other way and you attract attention that way and i think it's probably smart when i had my recent conversation with tom bowen he also said that no matter what happens with the new tv contract they hope they get more money from the new tv contract obviously but he fully expects that these games are continued a lot of these and he says because we play good football in the conference and I do think it's regarded as good football in the conference. We play good football in the conference. We get good ratings in the conference. And so it's going to keep happening. And this is just something we're going to live with, is live with or embrace, depending on your perspective. But it's not going away. There are going to be lots of Thursday and Friday night games in the future of the University of Memphis, particularly if they're good. I wanted to ask you about the conversation with, with Tom, um, because that's something I don't. we hadn't done a Q&A with him in a while, and I think fans hadn't been able to read a Q&A with him in a while. What was your impression, or I guess your biggest takeaway, um, from from talking with Tom, and obviously folks can read the Q and A at commercialpeel dot com came up yesterday. But what what stood out from from talking? Well, about he him? is fierce. He is fiercely interested in football. People who tell me because because of the practice facility, which I'll get to in a minute. Well, that I, I, there there's one guy who who direct messages me on Twitter all the time. Says Memphis don't the, the athletic department doesn't care about football. I can tell you. You sit down with Tom. He is fiercely interested in football. Yep. And I suspect, honestly, like if you talk about uh, he was bullish on Tubby. It wasn't a conversation about Tubby. He was telling me that Tubby's is 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 fired up and wants to prove people wrong and whatever else. That So if as an aside, but that is his passion. You know, his football is his passion and he gets fired 
up talking about it. He gets fired up talking about Mike Norvell. He gets fired up talking about where the program is. He gets fired up talking about where the program can be. He gets fired up talking about, like, you know, he loves being on the on the field during warm-ups. And, like, he thinks he can tell if you're going to win or lose. But, you know, like, like that kind of thing. Like, he is – that is what makes his blood, you know, pump is, is football. He's intensely interested in it. Um, so that's that's the, the overwhelming thing. Um, also very bullish on it. You know, it, it, it is sort of interesting to talk about no ceiling and whatever. There's obviously a ceiling because you're not in the power five. So there is a ceiling, but he rejects the idea there's a ceiling. And so he's just incredibly bullish. So that's one thing and excited. And he should be. He was brought here to fix a football program. And whereas I think if you're going to rank who's most responsible for fixing the, fixing the football program, right. Justin would be one. Wouldn't you say Justin would be one? Yes. I guess Mike Norvell would be two. But they picked Mike Norvell. Like, he didn't uh, – Bowen didn't pick Fuente. He, they, he was part of the group that picked Norvell. Somewhere in there, it goes – it's clearly Fuente's one. Norvell's probably two. But the combination of Bowen and Rudd are, are clearly three. And, and Brad Martin and the people who are – like, that group who decided that football should be good deserve some credit. And they deserve some credit for 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 booking UCLA, and they des- like lots of things they deserve credit for. So that was one thing. A, he's bullish on football, and I think he deserves credit for football. Um, he's a little, you can tell he's a little. He feels like he's been beaten about, beaten up a little bit unfairly. Like he, there was there were, there was I think the last quote in there. He said some things. He said the truth will set me free and I just put yeah. my head down and I went to work and, right. and whatever else. And so I think he feels like he's taken some unfair criticism over his years here. I think that's certainly true. And then the other thing that um, was, I thought the most newsworthy thing that came out of that interview was, and the, I'll be honest, the hardest thing to put pin him down on was the indoor practice facility. I, I could play. I don't <laughs> like the whole, I, I put an excerpt of the back and forth. I probably had to ask 12 questions in order to sort of figure out what the hell was going on with the indoor practice facility. Right. And because it didn't make sense in a way, like they, they got the $10.6 million of financing right through the new board. And well, that we knew the project was like 17, 18, $20 million. So why is it only 10.6 and what's happening? And what's happening is, I know, I think I know, is that phase one of the program of, of the building is essentially building the coaches' offices, getting them over there, training facilities, medic facilities, all that. They're going to do that first. Which, which for fans who haven't heard, it's going to be basically a second level. So right now the complex is like one level. There's going to be a second level built. Right. That They're going to finish off that facility and, and offices. And That's what, and then there's going to have to be a separate financing piece now they have the pledges and everything else. They're not, you know, but it's just, there's going to be have to be a separate financing piece that will enable them to build the actual bubble, the actual indoor practice facility itself, the covered field itself. And so, and what they hope is that they can go straight from building one seamlessly without stopping to building the second. But that wasn't clear in the when this was first thing was approved that we, we the, the, new, the headline was indoor practice facility financing approved. And it is partly right. But there's more yet to be done. And I think, honestly, they've gotten so much. I think one reason he's evasive on that and that doesn't maybe doesn't mean to be or gun shy about is they've gotten so much criticism over the delay 
that they don't sort of want to talk openly about the fact that there is yet more to come. I, that's what I get out. And I do think they've gotten a lot of criticism about it. And to the extent that people criticize them about it, I reject it. The reason that like people criticize, well, why was basketball basketball built, built first? It was clearly built first because Bill Laurie ponied up $10 million. No one ponied up $10 million for football. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to, you want the football one built first, you pony up $10 million for football. Like they just, they, in the end, you can wish whatever you want, but you've got the money to build it. Bill Laurie says, I'm giving you this contingent on you starting building this damn thing. You build the damn thing. It's not, it, that does not mean that Tom Bowen and David Rudd don't care about football. In fact, I, as I said before, I think they care more about football, but it was interesting to get clarity on that anyway. The same, by the way, and I've had people ask me this on Twitter, could be said about the, the baseball expansion with their they're building some new offices basically right there over on the baseball field the same complex as football uh-huh. that was a gift that was designated basically specifically to build these offices like people have said oh so now baseball is more important than uh-huh. football no that's just how the you know money that. makes the, money does make the world go round at some to some extent and the other thing and i think this is commendable is he really does talk with great enthusiasm about the olympic sports and he'll like He'll he'll start he'll be he's as really proud of women's soccer for example like and he'll just throw in seventeen references to women's soccer in the course of my interview about football and I think that's I I I admire the fact that he cares as much, that he that he really is invested in the in the women's sports too and I think he's invested in the academic well being of the students uh, as well and then I asked him about the Cal job which is open again he wanted it last time and he said. He didn't even hesitate. He blurted out, no interest. <laughs> like, um, now, maybe he has no interest because he knows he's not going to get it, or maybe it's like, that's a horrible job right now. They right. They, they have so, no capacity to pay their bills, which is amazing given you're a Power 5 school. But um, but he basically said, no, he has no interest in that. So it was a, it was a, it was a, I thought, a fairly revealing Q&A on the subject of Mike Norvell. He said what I say, which is just enjoy Enjoy what you got. Don't sit here and worry about what might happen if we have a, if they have a great year at the end of this year. Just enjoy it. And I think that's the correct perspective. The other thing that he said that was interesting, which I had I had heard as well on the Purdue game, the bye game is just that basically you asked, you know, why didn't you get a home and home? Right, and you got said, a home and home with UCLA, right? Why didn't you get a home and home with Purdue? And he said, we didn't have any choice. Right. And then he talked about the Boise State effect of teams not wanting to, to play them. And, and I think part of it, too, is the dynamic where all these – Power Five conferences are starting to require that their teams play more other Power Five teams. That's been a recent right. It's not just that they're scared of Memphis or coming to Memphis. It's that there there is more of a focus on on Power Five teams playing other Power Five teams. I think that's true too. I don't object particularly to the Purdue game. I know some people do, um, but um, but there you go. And then I think um, in terms of attendance and season tickets, you had heard earlier. Um, that there, that they were approaching or whatever twenty, and he said we're still selling. He didn't want to give me a number or whatever, but very clearly they want to announce it in dramatic fashion Thursday. And so whatever the number is, and whatever the number is, it's considerably more than the seven or eight thousand in season tickets that they had when he took over. And I suspect it'll be north of twenty, and I suspect we'll find out the exact number on Thursday. The only other thing that I wanted to talk about. And this is is somewhat new in the past couple of weeks is that there is a kicking competition. Right. I was worried about that. So we had kind of presumed that would be the freshman. Riley Patterson was the guy. And in recent, I'd say probably over the past week, 
Spencer Smith started kicking some field goals at practice. And then on Friday at the luncheon, when asked about Riley Patterson, uh, Norvell said, well, yeah, he's competing with Spencer Smith for that kicking job. And my ears kind of perked up because that was the first that we had heard of it being an active competition. And, and they've basically since, uh, they're, they're doing a walkthrough today, which was closed, but up through yesterday, they were kind of splitting 50-50 um, and who was kicking those. So my question, I guess for you, and we've talked about quarterbacks and playing young quarterbacks versus more experienced, letting them grow into it. What would you do at the kicking spot with a with a freshman who has admittedly in practice looked shaky at times? Do you let him ride it out, or do you go with somebody in Spencer Smith who, for what it's worth, arrived at Memphis as a kicker? He came in as a no, kicker and I then think, was shifted to play. I mean, I, I don't think you can make a decision based purely on the on the year that they are. It's the fact that he's a freshman. If he'd come in here cool as a cucumber, been nailing everything, whatever, we wouldn't be here, right? We wouldn't be here. I do think, though, you can't afford – you play Central Florida next week. You can't afford to lose a game because of a nervous freshman kicker. And so the answer and, – and riding it out with Paxton when he was a beginning quarterback, your team stunk. Like you, like you weren't going to win games, different stakes. Here, this is a year where where – where for all kinds of reasons, you know, that this is expected to be a big year. And if you don't have confidence that your freshman kicker is going to be able to deliver, you know, let's say there's a 38 yarder, just a 38 yarder to win against Central Florida with three seconds left, you put in the experience guy. Don't you think that's true? I think so, but I, I waffle on it a little bit just because I think part of part of having a true freshman kicker is letting him just kind of adjust and and get through that kind of shaky stage. And I think that over time, um, you know, just once you get out there in that atmosphere and once you make a couple and see them go through, then he's been shaky in practice. You said, right. That's different than being shaky because it's the first time he's kicked in front of 40,000 people. That's right. So Um, what's Spencer Smith look like? I'm, I mean about the same. Yeah. I mean like neither, neither of them are Jake Elliott. I'll put it that way. Um, and so that's kind of the other aspect of it too, is how much is that going to change? It could change the play call. It could change how, the decision how, the, how, the, how they do things. Exactly. And is it going to change like if they, you know, get into like a, where it would be a 54 yard field goal or something, do they go for it? Do they put Nick Jacobs out there to kind of punt it and try to pin him back? I mean, all of that is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. So I don't really know what I would do. Um, I mean, I guess you'd go with the more experienced guys. So much of it of depends stakes, on but. what the, what each individual is capable of. Honestly, I don't think it, it's hard in the abstract to think about this. But sure. very clearly, the fact that they started this this late in the suggests that they are not persuaded they can win games with freshmen. Isn't that? I mean, don't you think that's, think that's, that's unavoidable to say that? And um, you know, maybe he'll go on to have a have a. Uh, you know, award-winning, a Lou Groza-winning career at the University of Memphis. You hope, but, um, but yes, that's not that's a that's not a promising way to start. Can we can we end on something more upbeat? The new long snapper, <laughs> yes, Connor Choate, yeah, terrific. <laughs> and I asked Joe Lorig about him uh-huh. early in fall camp, and Lorig said he is the best he's ever seen. And I said, 
I kind of like did like made this face as he was like, because because Joe Lorig is not one to speak right. in like kind of absolutes like that. But I admittedly had not paid a lot of attention to the long snapper right. competition that early in camp. And since I've been watching him and he is he is really, really good. He's skinny. Um, so he's not a he's not a particularly right. large guy. Um, but just he's in got terms one of skill. The, the speed that the ball zips back there zips back it's i mean it's impressive so to end on a positive note what do you i also know the i'm looking forward to the uh i'm looking forward to the press box spread from the rendezvous what do you put on your plate from the rendezvous spread they've got up, up there they typically have the ribs they got the sausage and cheese plate they've got the they've got the pulled pork and they've got the chicken and then they've got the uh the 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 what is that stuff? Sort of like a bean. What is that? Anyway, so they got like what do you, what do you put on your Big plate? Barbecue beans? Yeah, what is what that? That's the whatever. It's sort of a New Orleansy thing that they got there. Oh, what is it? Beans, beans and, and rice. rice. Yeah, yeah, beans and rice. Yeah. yeah they got yeah. the beans and rice. Thank you. What do you what do you have? Two of the chicken sandwiches. They have buns out there. Yeah. Put chicken, a little extra barbecue chicken. sauce. Uh-huh. And then I have some sausage and cheese, uh-huh. and then some some beans, barbecue beans. You don't do the ribs. I don't do the. Well, it depends on kind of how I'm feeling, but that's the standard. You know, right. I've refined Jeff over my my many years here. I've refined <laughs> my pregame meal. Are you bringing and, the sweater vest out or not? It's gonna be hot. I, I don't, gonna I'm gonna have to look at the yet. forecast. Yeah. That's normally a an October right. into November, and now people just like scream at me whenever I wear it. So right because they think that I'm cursing the team. Right. So doubtless you are. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see you Thursday, and we'll be back to talk about it next week, right? We will be back next week. Look ahead to UCF. Look back at Louisiana Monroe. Thanks, as always, for listening. The Tiger Football Podcast is hosted by Tom Shad and Jeff Calkins. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of The Commercial Appeal.